Al Jazeera podcast. Haiti was once known as a beacon of strength and independence in its region. The world's first black-led republic in 1804, shaking off its French colonizers. But the past decades have been defined by one foreign intervention. In 1994, the U.S. intervened in Haiti as part of Operation Uphold Democracy. After another, the United Nations Stabilization Mission in Haiti, or MINUSTA, an operation that involved more than 100,000 blue helmets. Despite these missions, Haiti continues to stand on the brink. The Caribbean nation is in turmoil, besieged by political instability, humanitarian crises, gang warfare, and an economy in freefall. That's led to plans for yet another multinational deployment. This time, it will be led by Kenya's police force. Today, the United Nations Security Council approved sending an international police force led by Kenya to Haiti. So, as Haiti braces for intervention number four to arrive. What can be done to make sure this one will be the last? I'm Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, and this is the Take. My name is Harold Isaac. I'm a journalist here in Haiti. I was born in Canada. I was raised in Haiti for nearly 15 years. Went back to Canada. We returned to Haiti in 2015, and I've been here ever since. So, Harold, the last time we had you on the take was last year, and we were already talking about how things had really gone from bad to worse in Haiti because of water shortages and even a cholera outbreak. So, give us an update. A year later, what is daily life like in Haiti right now? Well, that part has changed and improved. I would say we are in a different place. At that time last year, nothing was functioning. There was no way to do anything. Like we were worried about drinking water, and that was for affluent people for the most part. Today, we are in a place where the political institutional crisis is aggravated by a security crisis, and that involves ways of kidnappings, but especially、uh, attacks on neighborhood, massacres, and displaced populations. Killings, kidnappings, and rape are rife. Displacing 200,000 since January and leaving 2,400 Haitians dead—that's more civilians killed this year than in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on. Maybe just with the, start with the capital. Well, the reality of the situation here in Haiti and especially in Port-au-Prince is that what is considered to be the old Port-au-Prince is all but dead right now. Like in terms of, if you go to downtown Port-au-Prince, well, first off, you wouldn't make it there. It's very unsafe. It's for the most part abandoned. Like places near the cathedral of Port-au-Prince, which was destroyed during the earthquake, not too far from the national palaces. Th- these areas are very unsafe for, for for people to venture, and gang confrontations are are common. Port-au-Prince has become a gangster's paradise. Gangs now control 80% of Haiti's capital, and they're extending their presence to other parts of the country. Now, what happens is you have a, a suburb nearby, which is Petionville, where you have seemingly the most functioning、uh, part of, of of the city. It's a kind of a green zone of sorts. 
What happened in the last, I'd say, couple of months is neighborhoods that were relatively spared, such as Turgeot, Carrefourfeuille, Debussy, and all these areas that are more closer to the center of Port-au-Prince, have been attacked by gangs in, in attempts to take fresh new territories. And that put pressure on a lot of folks and displaced a lot of folks, whether you're affluent or poor, and created new lawless areas. So if you ask me, really, it's a cat and mouse game in Port-au-Prince every day. You need to know where you're going, what you're going to do, how you're coming back. And there are certain areas where you're relatively safer, but for the most part, you need to be on the lookout. Yeah, I wonder how this works if it's informal. I mean, are some of the gangs more violent than others? Are there checkpoints that are set up where you can pay a, f- a fee to go through a certain territory? Is it more just just a, a constantly changing, chaotic situation? Well, experts and observers alike, they tend to notice that gangs are focused on national roads where they control access in and out of the city. So gangs are in control of the national road number one, which head up north, and they're in control of the national road number two, which heads down south. And part of the discussions are going on with a potential military or police intervention from Kenya is whether or not this is going to be their first aim to restore control of the state over national roads, which would allow for transit, commute, and for goods and, and, and services to be transiting, which is not the case right now. Because as you said, the gangs right now, if you want to go through these national roads, if they don't attack you outright, they make you pay to get through. Oh my goodness. Okay. So you have a, a dire security system. You have a country where gangs are in control of portions of the country and the capital. Harold, for people who don't follow Haiti, can you tell us about what is going on with this current government? Well, like everything in Haiti, the country is facing institutional collapse. But the twist, for someone that wouldn't understand or know about the country, it did not happen overnight. This institutional collapse has grown over the last, let's say, 10, 15 years. It started with a lackluster participation in elections. And then we started seeing, especially after 2015, 2016, seeing institutions grinding to a halt one after the other. That slow decline took a dramatic turn in July 2021, when President Jovenel Moïse was assassinated. A group of professional commandos and foreign mercenaries killed the president in his home while posing as U.S. special agents. His murder remains unsolved, and Haiti has not held a national election since 2016. So comes in Ariel Henry. The current prime minister is an ad interim prime minister. He was tapped into the job two days before, before the death of the president, and he didn't get to pass in front of a parliament. And as such, he has no term, right? So the, the issue is today, the three branches of government in Haiti... They're all dysfunctional. So as such, Mr. Henry is in a very particular and perhaps even peculiar situation where he has no term and is the sole recognized de facto authority in the country, is interfacing with the international community and has virtually zero legitimacy to be here. And, And the worst is there's absolutely no mechanism right now to... Replace him. 
Yeah, it sounds like security is just a major concern and the Haitian National Police Force is just ill-equipped to handle it. Is that fair? The Haitian National Police has been seriously challenged and depleted and is facing corruption and all sorts of challenges that are making it in a very tough position to be in control of the territory. The absence of government or police control has led to vigilante groups springing up to take action against gangs and sometimes using equally brutal tactics. Around April, the police were trying to dismantle a gang in one affluent area of Port-au-Prince, which is called La Boule. It's in the hills where a gang called Timacac was trying to extend control. And he, he found a lot of resistance because, you know, it's a more affluent area. So a lot of people kind of banded together, gathered to push back. And they managed to kill the head of the Timacac gang. And the members of the gang started fleeing and they got stopped at a police checkpoint. And essentially the mob came out, extracted them from police custody and killed them, set them on fire. And that triggered a nationwide movement called the Wakale or uh, Peel Wood. A metaphor for harsh justice delivered by a vigilante movement that swept the country. The symbols of Bois-Calais are the machete, the tire, gasoline, and matches. That was a vigilante response to gang violence with ruthless, you know, extreme violence where folks would be dismembered and burned alive and all of that. So, Harold, you're there in Haiti. What are people feeling? Do people feel that this is a breaking point after so many years of instability? I think Haiti has always been a country of struggle. I think the Haitian population has always faced struggles. And the the day-to-day is about that constant struggle. So they don't see past the the, the coming day or the coming week or the coming month. It's more how do we survive. And, And I think if you look at the migration movements of the last five, 10 years, you can see that Haitians have really taken to the whole continent of sorts from down South America up to Central America and headed to the southern border of the U.S. and trying to make it to the U.S., to Canada. So everybody is in a dynamic of, hey, how do we get out of here? Because they don't feel there is any hope for them here in Haiti. So could foreign intervention bring back hope or add to Haiti's problems? That's after the break. On the Inside Story podcast, Donald Trump in court yet again. What impact will the mounting prosecutions have on his bid to return to the White House? Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Talk of an intervention in Haiti has been building for some time. The country's prime minister has repeatedly asked for help from the international community. I reiterate on behalf of the people of Haiti and the government the request to help bolster the National Police of Haiti so that it can truly respond to the challenges it faces in its mission to protect the lives of those in the country. It's gained backing from the United Nations Secretary General. The UN Secretary General says the only solution is a strike force made up of international troops and police. And the U.S. President. I call on the Security Council to authorize this mission now. 
The people of Haiti cannot wait much longer. But neither side has been willing to take the lead. Instead, Kenya has stepped up. A statement from Kenya's foreign ministry expressed a commitment to deploy 1,000 police officers to help train and assist Haitian police restore normalcy in the country and protect strategic installations. In September, the U.S. signed a deal with Kenya promising financial and logistical support for the Haiti mission, but no troops of its own. The United States stands ready to support that mission by providing robust financial and logistical assistance. And we intend to work with the United States Congress to provide up to $100 million in support. So, Harold, we've seen other missions in the past. Based on what you've seen on the ground there before, how effective do you think this force can be against heavily armed gangs? Well, I would say that the kind of funny thing is that the very probability that Kenya could come with police officers or even perhaps troops is already having an impact. <laughs> it's already affecting the rationale of, of the gangs that seems to be either considering their next move. The culprit really is national roads today because trade is, for the most part, interrupted. Transit commuting is really, really complicated. So this is what's the matter, really. And and as such, they feel that they may not be able to withstand a prolonged confrontation with an organized force because folks are forgetting that most of them are kids. They're not soldiers. Yeah. They're not structured or organized. Can they face a structured or more structured and more organized force that would face them? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's anyone's guess. Yeah, it, it's, that's interesting. The positive, in, as far as I can tell, is that these, these type of operations, these type of operations tend to work when there's a very clear objective. It's not just a permanent peacekeeping force. It's something specific like clearing national roads so you can open up trade. What's potentially challenging is that if if that devolves into a full-scale military-style conflict with like a guerrilla-style gang movement in the mountains that are attacking police officers who are trying to just keep roads clear. I don't know. What do you think? I think anyone with a head on a shoulder here, <laughs> they know that you're unlikely to get rid of the gangs. And fact of the matter is, during the minister period, they never really got rid of them. They were cornered, they were pushed back, but with the departure of the minister, the gangs were more uh, free to take over more territory, more spaces, and the national roads. Mm. So it's clear to most folks, especially influent folks or, or, or the leadership, the establishment in Haiti, that this is where the battle will start. Mm. Now, as you said, it cannot be an indefinite mission. And I think that that has been the challenge for all the stakeholders in this. It's like, okay, how long are we going to be here for? Six months, six years, 10, 15? Nobody knows. And who's going to pay for that? So in a weird way, again, there are many questions that remain pending and that require an answer that uh, we don't have yet. So Kenya has volunteered to lead this intervention force. How did an East African country get involved? Why Kenya? The rationale that Kenya is bringing is that 
as it is right now, they're already taking care of peacekeeping missions in uh, neighbor countries uh, such as Somalia, uh, South Sudan, and uh, other places. And as such, being an African country and uh, being aware of what's going on in Haiti, they claim and feel that it's their duty to do something about it, especially that they've been solicited. Here's Kenya's president at the UN General Assembly. The cry of our brothers and sisters who are the first people to win their struggle for freedom from colonial tyranny has reached our ears and touched our hearts. But that being said, getting there has been complicated because Kenya wasn't the first candidate to lead a mission. Last year, Canada was on the line to lead such force, but Canada has been very hesitant, <laughs> to say the least, mm. to take on that role because it could be considered a dead end or a never-ending mission, and with mitigated results. And while Kenya has volunteered, there are questions lingering about its national police force. Its own force has recently come under scrutiny for human rights abuses in Kenya. And whether it will add to the troubled legacy of past interventions. MINUSTA, as the UN mission is known, leaves a controversial legacy in Haiti, from allegations of rape to introducing cholera. The UN is also left having to clean up a number of problems which it created, including a cholera epidemic caused by its own troops, which killed more than 9,000 Haitians. I mean, at this point, listen, the house is on fire, and we, I don't think we get the luxury of the deciding who's going to be the firefighter. And I think that's how... That's how everybody sees it, really. It's like, okay, if Kenya can come, yeah, it may, it may not be that great. But listen, then again, what other choice do we have at this stage? Mm. Yeah. So, okay, so the U.S. is sending money. Kenyans are sending 1,000 police officers, and maybe there's more to come. There are at least 11 other countries sending a certain number of forces to supply. But it's certainly not going to be at the same scope and same extent as Kenya. Why is it important that Haiti improve? Why, why should people care what happens in Haiti? Well, Haiti has always been a beacon in the world. To answer your question, I would probably take it from my personal standpoint, with my own personal experience, because many folks I know are in the same situation. Listen, I could have been in Canada. I actually lived in Canada for about 15 years as an adult. And then I made the decision in 2015 to come back because I looked around and I'm like, I'm more useful here. And I feel that it's better rewarded in terms of accomplishment to be here than to be in Canada. I mean, I think Canada has a lot of folks that can help build it as a society. The key thing really for, for us in Haiti is that we stay because we want to support the country. We want to be there despite all the struggles because we believe it's like a, a house. A house without people crumbles. And as such, that's why when you see all these people leaving in migration in droves, and especially for economic uh, reason, it, it hurts. It's because you know that Haiti has everything really to succeed. It just was dealt with a very bad hand. And the situation makes it very complicated. So you have folks that are here fighting every day as an act of resistance in face of a struggle, in face of the challenges. 
And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn with Khalid Sultan, David Enders, Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Sonia Bagat, Sariel Khalili, Ashish Malhotra, Zaina Badr, Faranisa Kampana, and me, Kevin Hurton, in from Alika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexander Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.